0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teachers. today. Honestly, anything I'm going to say to this morning is going to just be an echo of Paul Poland, uh, Ephesians 2, um, because he explains it so short and succinctly. But I'm going to spend like half an hour doing that today. Um, so I wanted to say good morning and welcome back to church in 2022. Wow. I have missed every single one of you over the break, and uh, oh man, I'm just so excited to be here and um, preaching the word. Um, Today we're starting our series um, called Big Dreams, and this is where um, a couple of our preachers just share what dreams God has placed on our heart for this church in 2022. So to kick off this series, I want to talk a little bit about the overflow of grace um, and the effect that grace can have on our lives if we let it. When we take hold of this idea, this message of grace, that's so central to the gospel, it has the ability to change our lives forever. And I know because it changed my life forever. And I hope it changes yours too. See, I believe more than anything else in the world, what we need is grace. More than financial security, we need grace. More than fulfillment, we need grace. More than independence, we need grace. And more than even religion, we need grace. Each of these things I found lacking in my own life and compared to the glorious grace of God. And when I started coming back to church, I'd been away for a, a little while. I was trying so hard to make up for the time that I had lost, the time that I'd been away. I'd been coming to um, every single service on the Sunday. I'd been coming to and serving um, for about a year. Um, I was uh, coming to life group every single week. And then I was also uh, just starting internship. Um, And I would have said that I was a pretty good Christian at that point. But there was this longing in my heart, this really deep desire that I couldn't put my finger on. And the years prior to this, those years away, I was an absolute wreck of a human being. Um, I'd been diagnosed with chronic depression and and social anxiety, um, and uh, suicide attempts had left me feeling worthless and and hopeless, and I'd turned to um, porn and casual sex in order to try and feel this longing in my heart, this desire to be valued, to be loved as I am, to be affirmed and accepted for who I am. I felt burdensome to my family that I wasn't good enough. I felt like I was a burden to God. And... Maybe for some of you today, sorry, just that song before, has just got me crying. Um, Maybe for some of you today, that's the start of your story, that you feel burdensome to the people around you, that you feel like you're not good enough, that you feel like nothing you can do is ever good enough. And so I wanna share my experience with grace with you today so that you know that that's something that you can have in your life too, because Flip God is good. Man, he's good. So I would often lay awake at night thinking of all of the things that I had done wrong and the guilt and shame would pile up on me until I was overcome by it and I wouldn't be able to sleep. And one of those nights that, that was happening to me, um, I heard God tell me, go out and, and walk, um, go outside. And so I walked past my dad and he was like, where on earth are you going at 2 a.m.? And I was like, i know, just out, I'll be back there. Um... And so I was listening to worship music and I stopped at a bus stop and I was praying, God, I need your presence, I need your love, I need something, anything to get me through this next year. And then I just heard this still quiet voice, you are forgiven for all you have done. You are loved, you are accepted, I love you. Again and again, grace comes in whispers to me when I'm praying, it's a tap on the shoulder, And it's a whisper at night when I can't sleep, a feeling of deep peace and love that I can't explain. It's a feeling of the weight lifting upon my guilty heart. You were forgiven for all you have done. Is it because I have become this perfect follower of Jesus? Because I'm not even close to what you'd call a perfect follower. What have I done to earn then this forgiveness, this peace, this love that I feel in my life? And that's the amazing miracle of grace, that I have done nothing, that you have done nothing to earn this, and despite what you have done, it's offered freely to you. The deep longing in my heart had been replaced with grace, and I hope the deep longing that you feel in your heart is also replaced by grace as well. So before I get started, I want to I pray and, and ask God to fill this place and, and get some Holy Spirit in here. Are we, are we all good with that? Awesome. Heavenly Father, I just pray your, your grace and mercy renews in us today, Lord. That your Holy Spirit comes and, and is with us and your presence is with us this morning. As I give this message, Lord, may hearts be turned towards you, may they be transformed forever. And pray these things in your name, amen. I want to start by talking about love, which off the back of like a whole month of love in November, you guys are probably sick of hearing about love, but it's really, really important that we understand that the hope of grace starts in love because it's such a powerful driving force. Uh, It brings people together in really peculiar circumstances. We read of stories of um, people working in hospitals, uh, uh, healing and and, and tending to the wounded of um, an enemy side in war and finding love there. It also has the ability to tear people apart. One of my favorite movies and stories is um, the story of Troy and you have these two countries, these two places, waging war over the love of one woman. And so we understand then that, that Love is such a powerful force, and it's why we can see glimpses of grace in our romantic relationships. Our hearts ache for the person that we love, and when they're away, we feel lonely and and cold and miserable. We long to be loved unconditionally and despite our condition. We long to be accepted, admired, and, and loved beyond that we can even comprehend. Not to know that there's only forgiveness in love, but there is deep, unconditional love. Um, to be cherished, adored, accepted, admired. There's a longing within each of us that desires desperately to be loved. And Paul talks too about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four to seven. And he says this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This passage is a really common pick for weddings um, and a lot of preachers use this for weddings and it's really obvious why because it's a framework on how people should love one another and I want to tell you it's a framework for how we should love one another and it tells us how God loves us. The starting point of grace is love, and that in God's great love for us, he sent Jesus to die for us. Grace begins with an act of great love. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear this, God loves you, and his grace is for you, and his forgiveness is for you. And like a lovesick father, he waits to hear that you have come home so that he can embrace you, not because he wants to scold you, but because he loves you. He loves you so desperately that um, uh, Jesus talks about this in in Luke chapter um, 15, verse 20, in the story of the prodigal son. But while he was still a long way off, I want you to replace the he with you. While you were still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. This is the kind of love that God has for you, that he would run to you and he would embrace you. And I've spoken a little bit about love this morning because it is really important to understand that grace comes from love. Only then can we start thinking about what grace exactly is, and that's what I'm going to attempt to do now. It's not exactly an easy task, though, so I'm going to rely on a bunch of theologians that have studied way more than I have and um, know more than I have. Um, Grace is the free gift of God for the salvation of all people at all times. It's undeserved favor with God. It's forgiveness, love, and mercy from God to us, despite our circumstances. It's the very essence and nature of God's goodness and his love, and it helps us through giftings in the Holy Spirit and holds us through the toughest of times. And I know that this explanation doesn't go, okay, but you didn't pinpoint what exactly grace is. You just said what it's like and what it does for us. You didn't really say what it was, but um, that's because... uh, it's not really something you can neatly put a pin in. It's not something that you can easily place. It's like beauty. Have you ever tried to explain beauty to someone? You just, it, it's beautiful because of what it is, not because of anything it's doing. This grace from God is despite us, and it's actually because of God that we have this grace. Not because we love him, but because he loves us. Grace is central to the gospel, and without it, we miss the gospel entirely. We end up as legalists fighting and competing to try and earn the grace of God. Or we end up cowering in fear from a God that is holy and who should judge us wholly and perfectly. So in order for us to understand this word, this grace that's central to the message of the gospel, I've put some characteristics of what grace is in order to help us understand it a little bit better. So, firstly, grace is undeserved. We can never be—it can never be claimed as this fruit of faithfulness, right? It's a gift. Our passage from Ephesians earlier, Paul writes, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing, but a gift from God." And I'll talk a little bit more about. Um, I'll talk a little bit more uh, later about uh, this. Uh, But for now, what you need to know is that grace is what saves us, not our own faithfulness. And while faithfulness is commendable, Paul spends a significant amount of time in the New Testament saying that faithfulness, forgiveness, grace is not not an act of works. And stop trying to make it an act of works. I'm not forgiven because of how much I read my Bible. I'm not forgiven because I attend church a lot. I'm not forgiven because I serve on team. I'm not forgiven because I give money. I'm forgiven because God has chosen to forgive me. And he's chosen to forgive you as well. Grace is also unfair. And this is the scandalous part of grace. That if a murderer who's responsible for thousands of deaths of innocents was to come and find the grace of God and truly repent, then they would be just as saved as I am. And this is the story, in fact, of a, a Khmer Rouge executioner named Comrade Dutch, who was responsible for overseeing at least, as in minimum, 14,000 murders and tortures of the Cambodian people. He found the grace of God, and he repented and became a born-again Christian, and grace and salvation and God's forgiveness is on offer for him, just as it is for you and I. How is this just, we could ask, though, that God would offer forgiveness to someone who would commit such awful acts of violence? In Matthew um, uh, chapter 20, verse 1 to 16, Jesus tells this similar story that those who were working in a vineyard um, for the entire day would get the same wage as those who would only work one hour. And verse 13 to 15 is really striking to this, this core message of unfairness. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Those last words, are you envious because I'm generous, ring true. Paul, another murderer turned follower of Jesus, tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God isn't giving us wages. He gives us gifts. And in this case, the gift of grace. The same gift of grace given to the comrade Dutch and Paul is on offer for you and I. We're not paid what we're due, so how can we expect any who seek the grace of God to be paid what they're due either? What about justice then? Do they get off their crime for free? If, if I accept this grace of God, then do I just get off for scot-free for whatever I do? No, because grace isn't free. It just didn't cost you or me. Because Jesus, the full punishment of our sin was poured out unto Jesus on the cross. There is no punishment left for you and I. The full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. There's no wrath left for sinners under grace thanks to the work of Jesus on the cross. And because of this work, because of this cross, we know then that grace is also unashamed. Jesus was crucified to offer us grace and he paid the price we were supposed to pay He was nailed to a cross by his hands and his feet. He was humiliated. He was beaten and he was shamed. He was mocked. The most shameful death you could have in in Roman times was crucifixion. It was a crime he never committed and he could have denied these false charges against him. He could have called angels from heaven to come and save him. But what did he do instead? In humility and in grace, he approached the cross for you and for me. Paul says in um, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God and the salvation of everyone, everyone who believes. Shame doesn't have a place within grace. We can see then that grace has to be unending too, because if it stops when we do something wrong, then it's not really grace, is it? There's no evil you can commit, no lie you can tell, no wrong thing that you can do that will um, ever separate you from the love of God. And his love is always chasing us down. It doesn't just wait for us to come to him and come home. It's standing right there next to us, beside us, behind us, waiting for us to turn around and embrace him, to say, I love you and welcome home. Years ago, when I was having a different suicidal episode, it was again, 2 a.m., Nothing good happens after 2 a.m., if I learn anything from how I met your mother. Um, I was ready to be done with my life at that point, and despite the time of night, my mother, father, and brother all came out to come and find me. Despite me telling them to go away, they wouldn't go away. Despite me ignoring them, they wouldn't relent. They had come to bring me home just as God comes to bring you home. God loves you in the same way, despite all of the running, all of the hatred you might have for him, he's still standing right next to you with arms open, ready to welcome you home. And I want to share this quote from Tim Keller, you may be familiar with concerning the gospel. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And Paul summarizes it much shorter in Romans 5 verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. When we understand how deeply sinful we are, it causes us to recognize the great love and grace God has for us. That's why someone like Comrade Dutch is such an amazing story of the grace and glory of God, that if God can cover all of his sins, surely he can cover mine too. Before I talk more about how this is lived in our lives, I want to really briefly touch on the enemy of grace, and I think this is really important to talk about because it's something that's so common in our culture, and it's something that is becoming more and more common in the church, and that enemy is pride. I want to use three stories of grace and pride to explain what these, um, what these enemies look like. Pride is the wisdom of fools. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 20, um, it shows the story of the rich young ruler, which is an example of this wisdom in full effect, that he does all of the correct things, all of the right things, and yet he won't give up his material possessions to follow Jesus. He won't give up what he holds closest to him to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to grace. He tells, Jesus tells this other story in Luke 18. It's much shorter, verse 10 to 14 of a Pharisee and a tax collector praying. And the Pharisee says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like all of these other sinners, that I am holy, that I pay all of my t- dues, I pay my tithes. Thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. And the tax collector says, thank you, Lord, for your mercy and forgiveness and have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that the tax collector and not the Pharisee is saved. The humility of grace says, I cannot work to earn my salvation and nothing I can do will ever be enough to come close to the glory of God. And the pride of fools says, I can work this out on my own. I don't need you, God. I don't need grace. The second story is, um, and the second idea is um, misplaced responsibility. The pride misplaces responsibility. We see this in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 11 to 32, all the way at the end in the uh, attitude of the older brother. Why are you offering this son of yours that wished you were dead forgiveness? Why would you offer him a, an opportunity to come back into the fold? Where is my fattened calf? Where are my Jews? Haven't I been here all this time? Paul, uh, pride, sorry, tries to take the responsibility of eternal judgment from God and place it in our hands. Grace rejoices when another sinner repents and finds the grace of God for the first time. Lastly is this false sense of justice we get when we're prideful. Jesus tells of an unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, verse 23 to 35, this servant is forgiven this debt he could never pay back an impossibly large debt. I think, if, I think the, someone did the math and it was like $300 million. This is like servant. How do you incur $300 million of debt as a servant? And yet this servant then goes home after being forgiven in this debt and approaches another servant who might've owed him like 10 bucks, beats him and throws him in jail. The mercy that he was shown was not given to others. Pride holds and withholds forgiveness from others until they've earned it. Grace offers it as freely as it has been offered to us. Now, here's the thing about grace. There is a catch. And I know for some of you, you're like, okay, well, that's a bit weird that you would say there's a catch, but let's, let's find out what this catch is. This, the catch is that grace is received through repentance. Essentially, repentance is just apology with action. So what I'm saying is, in order to receive grace, you've got to apologize. And that's it. Now, I know what you might be thinking, the idea that grace is offered so freely that it only requires me to apologize, Jacob, doesn't make sense. I don't actually agree with you, Jacob. If you know what I'd done, if you'd known the things that I was capable of, if you'd known the thoughts in my mind, you wouldn't be saying all it takes is an apology. So I wanna make it simple. The grace of God is for you if you seek it, if you're burdened with sins, guilt, or shame. If you're desperate to know Jesus, all you need to do is ask for his grace. Each day you need to ask for the grace of God to overflow in your life and for his Holy Spirit to walk with you in the spirit of righteousness. We have to be humble enough to admit that I was wrong and that I have done things wrong. Lord Jesus, I ask for your grace and for your forgiveness. This is how we need to accept grace, humbly with love and gratitude. Now, Paul asked this important question in Romans, and I'm quoting Paul a lot. He uses grace like over 100 times in the New Testament. So um, he's my go-to guy. In Romans um, chapter six, verse one, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And maybe some of you feel similar after what I've just said. If I'm gonna be forgiven, shouldn't I just sin as much as I want? If forgiveness is on tap, if I can just do whatever I want and I'll be forgiven if I ask, why shouldn't I keep on doing the wrong thing? Why shouldn't I keep sinning? So I want to, I let's go into our imaginations a little bit and I want to unpack this. I want you to imagine that you're married. Now, for some of you, it's not very hard because you already are or you're really, really, really close. Next, I want you to imagine a similar situation. No matter what you do, forgiveness is on offer. No matter how many times you cheat, No matter how many times you say awful and vile things to them, no matter how many times you physically or verbally abuse them, forgiveness is just a breath away. Knowing this, would you take all of the opportunities you can to be unfaithful? Would you take all the opportunities you can to say vile and awful things to them? Would you take all the opportunities to beat and abuse the person that you love? Knowing that you can because all you need to do is ask for forgiveness. When we love someone, we don't intentionally hurt them because we know that they will forgive us. We might accidentally hurt them in our anger, our grief, in our weariness or our selfishness. In this case, forgiveness is there when we do make mistakes. We're safe and secure in our relationship with Jesus because we know that the forgiveness is there when we mess up. When we fail to reach this unattainable goal of righteousness, perfect righteousness of God, we know the grace of God is there to cover us. All right, I'm going to take a pause. We're going to recap on everything I've just said because I've just said a whole bunch of stuff and I'm going to do that before I start talking about how do we live in this overflow of grace? How do we overflow grace? So recap, grace comes from love. Grace is undeserved, it's unfair, it's unashamed and it's unending. Pride is the enemy of grace. Pride is the wisdom of fools. It misplaces responsibility and gives us a false sense of justice. And in order to accept grace, we need repentance, which comes from loving God. All right, are we all good? We're all ready to get ahead and into the practical application? Awesome. So, first, grace isn't just from God to us. His perfect grace is given to us again and again, and then we become carriers of grace. What does this mean? It means that we forgive as we've been forgiven, and we love as we've been loved. Grace is the gospel made manifest in our lives. Grace should be shown and given to others as it's been shown and given to us, through Jesus and without cost to the receiver. This is really difficult though, because as we've just heard, uh, grace does have a cost and the cost is always to the person who gives grace. My parents sacrificed a whole night of sleep in order to bring me home the master sacrifices 10,000 talents to to forgive a debt of his servant and jesus, and god sacrifices his son jesus to offer us grace it will always cost us to offer grace whether it's our pride our safety or our comfortability it will always cost us to offer grace We have to offer grace, though, in a world that holds grudges, that cancels people, which holds such a high self-importance at the cost of others. Where small slights and friendships and differing political views begin wars, where trust is earned and not given, and unforgiveness is a fair punishment for those who do you wrong, this world is desperate for grace. And guess who bears it? We do. We offer it on supply. We're the tap for grace. When we offer grace to others, we offer the exact same freedom that's been given to us. And before I move on, I want to touch really briefly on cancel culture, because it's such a powerful example of unforgiveness and ungrace in our culture. For those of you who may be unaware, canceling someone is a modern day social exile. If you're canceled, you're cut off from your friends, your family, and you might lose your job and your relationship. And I want to ask you, is it okay to cancel somebody? And if your answer is, yeah, absolutely it's okay to cancel some people. Some people deserve to be cancelled. My question is, how much should they be cancelled? Is it enough if they lose their job? What if they lose their relationship with their friends? What if they lose access to all of their social media? What if they lose access to their family? It depends on, on what they do, right? It depends on how awful their thing is. Okay, well, where's the line? Where do we decide as a society where the line is for cancelling someone? How much ostracization does someone endure before they've repaid the debt that they owe to society? Follow-up question. What does Jesus say about cancelling people? It'd be really easy to say that we were cancelled by God. We were outcast from the garden and separated from his eternal presence. And yet what's Jesus' response? Does he mock us and laugh at us? Does he laugh and and see the mess we've got into and say we deserve to be separate from God? No. What he does is he comes into our situation. He comes down to earth and he says, I am here for your forgiveness, to offer you grace and back in favor with God. He lays his life down to offer us grace, and in response to this grace in our lives, do we then offer unforgiveness when we or our society or our community has been wronged? What if they haven't even apologized, Jacob? Let's like take a step back. You said that you have to apologize to get grace. They aren't even sorry for what they did, but here's the thing, neither were we when we did the wrong thing. We weren't sorry when we were offered forgiveness. We weren't sorry when we were offered grace. We didn't repent of our sinfulness and then get offered the forgiveness. We got offered grace first. And then what happens? We accept it with forgiveness. We accept it uh, with our repentance. So when we offer grace, we don't wait for an apology. We offer it as freely as Jesus offered it to us. So where there is unforgiveness, grace cannot be given or received. And I want to say that again. Where there is unforgiveness in your life or mine, grace cannot be given or received. By God or by anybody else. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 4:26: don't let the sun go down on your anger. We have to forgive and be honest with each other about our hurt. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24: to stop giving an offering to God and be reconciled with your brother. We don't even worship God when we haven't forgiven someone. That's what Jesus says. The Lord's prayer in Luke 11 verse 4 echoes the message of forgiveness. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness breeds forgiveness and grace will foster grace. The grace in our lives in action is grace in others' lives from us. Now I'm not going to say that this grace won't come without pain because people will hurt you again. They will betray you and commit evil towards you. And in some cases, they might never apologize for the things that they've done wrong to you because we're all likely to commit evil to other people, whether it's intentionally or not. And yet we have to offer grace again and again, freely, shamelessly, on tap for all of the people around us. We have to, uh, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you, to turn the other cheek so that we may may be more like God. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19 to 21, do not take revenge, my dear friends, for it is written, it is mine to avenge and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Martin Luther King summarizes this too. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. This is one of the men who was the most hated person of his time. And what was his response? His response was hate, and hate brings war. But when I love my enemies, I make them my friends. Hate... uh, If we want to end the cycles of hate in our lives and the cycles of unforgiveness, we need to offer grace, unashamed, unfair, undeserved, unending grace. When we receive the grace of God and we show the grace of others, the grace of God to others, we then get to start seeing real change in our world. Chains of sin and shame broken, lives full of hurt and pain healed, and families broken through, unforgiveness restored. There's nothing more powerful than grace. My dream is that we're a church full of the grace of God, that we overflow this grace we've been given to all of those around us, even if it costs us all that we have. That grace would break down the barriers we've put up with our neighbours, and that grace would be the defining thing of our walk with Jesus. Who in your life do you need to offer grace and forgiveness to today? There's this old song with these beautiful lyrics about grace called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus and I want to share it with you this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Lord Jesus, I pray right now that the things of earth Lord, the anger, the contempt, the hatred, the selfishness in our hearts, Lord, that they would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. Lord, that your love is known among people, Lord, that your grace is poured out from this community to others. Lord, I pray that we may know your grace fully in our own lives. I pray for your mercy to reign in our life, Lord. And I pray these things in your name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, EncounterAdelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.